Hello and welcome to this episode of Elric Talks. My guest today is Sean Warner. Some of you might already know him from that TikTok video that went rival this summer. We talk about how his life has changed from that viral moment, his approach to writing, and what he does to ensure that this is not just his 15 minutes of fame. Sean, what does it feel like to be a best-selling author? It feels great to be a best-selling author. Um, you know, it's something that, it, you know, when I was writing things, it's not that wasn't my goal is to be a best-selling author or, or anything like that. It was to write a book that people wanted to read. I was more invested in the fulfillment of myself and of my readers. Uh, but I'll take the being best-selling author that comes with that anytime. <laughs> yeah, and besides being a best-selling author, you were also a lot of other things. For example, you you are an army veteran. You were in the, if I get that correctly, you were a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division Infantry. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. What made you join the army? Um. Um, I, I make no 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 secrets about it. I'm not the most academic of people. High school was a struggle, and I had to do something at the end <laughs> of, of high school. College really wasn't an option, um, and so I, I needed to do something, and that appealed to me as a career choice. It turned out to be a fabulous choice for me. I, um, I mean, I was never a, a immature or out of, the, out of control kid, but it definitely brought a higher level of maturity to me and a whole wealth of experiences. I, I love experiencing new things. I'm a very experiential person. So um, it, it was a great time for me and I got a lot of benefit out of it. Were you also, did you see action somewhere? I did not. I um, arrived at the 82nd Division just as they were returning from Grenada, if you'll remember that action. And then um, I got uh, my honorable discharge right before things started to happen in Panama. So I, I had that small little three and a half, four year window in there. Was there any particular reason why you decided for decided to go into the um, as a, as a paratrooper into the 82nd Airborne Division instead of other branches like the Marine or the the Navy? Um, I just looked at the different services and the different options, and um, to be honest with you, uh, I thought being the paratrooper, I do a lot of things just for the adventure of it. <laughs> I, I love having, um, like I said, I, I'm very experiential. I love um, adventures and things like that, which means I love to travel. Um, I've been skydiving as scuba diver. I've been, um, been in martial arts for years. It, it, I just love adventurous activities like that. That all almost seems to be uh, somewhat of a common common characteristic for quite a few authors. I interviewed another author, uh, Stephen Hartoff, who also joined the army, and he his main reason was basically he wanted to have also experience to then be able to write about that. So, I mean, for me, as somebody who hasn't joined the army, it's it's always 
quite a stretch to think about, okay, I want to experience an adventure, so I gonna become a soldier. That seems so <laughs> <laughs> very extreme. Well, yeah, um, it, it, it is um, very extreme in that sense. But then again, so is owning, a, you know, a motorcycle over a car um, or a um, or going skydiving or bungee jumping or things like that. It's those are very extreme <laughs> adventures. Would you describe yourself as somebody who likes to take risks? Within reason, um, I'm, there are others I've met who were way beyond my comfort zone. It all comes down to what you're comfortable with and knowing yourself. Um, and of course, as you go and you build up capabilities and that props up your, um, uh, your confidence in yourself, which if you're going to be a writer... Or, or I'm, I'm, I can assume just any other kind of thing. I can't imagine a doctor who wasn't com entering the operating theater and not confident of what they're about to do. So you, you build up that kind of confidence as a writer to, yes, I can do this and I can achieve and, and it will be a good story. Because doubt hits all of us. Um, you know, and, and so you, you do need that firm core of self-confidence. And after you were a paratrooper, you went into software development, right? Not initially. I first, when I um, was discharged, I went and got a degree in psychology and followed up with a master's degree in social work and was a licensed therapist. I, um, I worked with uh, families in um, Uh, and kids, pediatric therapy. Um, I did that for many years while I was going through school and then a little time afterwards, but that field kind of changed a little bit. Um, so I looked at other options available to me and then I went back to school and got an engineering degree and worked in software development. How did that field change? Um, It was difficult. Um, I'm, math is not one of my strongest. <laughs> you know, I'm saying this as, as an engineer now. <laughs> um, I, I actually struggled with math um, for a long time. And so it, it, it was just uh, perseverance. And again, it's a back to self-confidence, but also, you know, you just have to grit your teeth if you're going to want to achieve anything. You have to persevere and struggle through and and you know, be persistent, stick with it, kind of set that determination. Of course, my time in the military definitely helped build those skills as well. So it, it's kind of a collection of these experiences that make us the whole people we are. And they all contribute to our successes. But why did you, why did you quit being a, a therapist? Oh, just, um, industry reasons there are things in the uh, market that evolved insurance um, switched over how and when they would pay availability for positions changed people with years of experience and advanced um, certifications were um, back on the um, path trying to 
get entry level positions. So it was really very difficult time to be just breaking in. And um, so I just looked at the opportunities that I had available to me and felt that the change would be better in the long run for myself and for my family. And how easy was it then to, to get a job as a software engineer? Um, it was uh, very easy. Um, you know, and again, everything kind of culminates. So at, I was, as a um, veteran, it was very easy for me to obtain a security clearance. And then as a, a therapist, I had very good people skills. And as an engineer, software engineer, I had technical skills. So I, I was picked up fairly quickly um, and actually did more um, stuff in meetings with different groups of people, facilitating meetings, managing um, development projects and things like that more than just writing it myself because I did have those um, experiences and I did have those interpersonal skills and was able to reach um, agreements and compromises and negotiate through things like that. So uh, it all just came together uh, rather nicely. And what kind of company, what kind of projects were you working on? Um, I'd prefer not to go into those. Okay, okay. What, um, just to vaguely, is it uh, classified stuff, uh, why you don't want to get into it, or is it just... Uh... Some of it was at the time. Okay. And you said you had more of a, let's say, managerial role there, more the organizational part of it, but you could... Um... Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> But you could also write code, right? Yes, yes. What what language was that primarily? Um, there was all different sorts of languages. I think Ada was a big one at the time. That um, the It was a sort of a government language. They started phasing that out. Um, I got very interested in writing in Java. Um, for applications, I, I stayed away from the um, web and, and things like that. So these were more applications. Did some firmware coding, um, some C, C++. It just depends on what the requirements and specifications were for the uh, jobs. Do you have any special favorite language? I like Java. It, it, it's easy to make uh, user interfaces out of it. Um, it's... You know, it, it's got a huge learning curve. And like all languages, it has its syntax issues that you have to kind of learn how to say things the way you want them to uh, say. But I, I like programming in Java. I still toy around with it every now and then. Yeah. What, what do you have to do some hobby projects still with that? Or? No. no. But what do you mean when you say you toy around with it? Oh, just like little things for um like a little thing on how to keep track of who i've sent um queries off to and oh. what their response is and just um, little personal stuff like that is, is nothing okay. <laughs> nothing large at all no contribution to open source projects or something like that no no uh, yeah. nothing like that 
And so where in all of that did your passion for books, your passion for writing start? Well, that was my passion for writing was a, a thread that kind of went through all of that. Um, but it was in the background. I started writing and being interested in writing at a very young age. And I've always enjoyed writing. I was the kind of the nerdy kid at school who liked the, the writing assignments. I'd look forward to them. Mm. Um, always did more than, <laughs> I think, probably more than what the <laughs> teachers wanted to read, to be honest. <laughs> But I, I've always enjoyed it. And so I, I wrote some short stories along the way and, and started a lot of first chapter kind of things of ideas that I've had. But I never took it seriously. I never followed up on any of it. It was just a little something, you know, kind of in the back of your mind or in the background of my life that I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to for decades. But then at some point you decide, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write a full novel. Um, no, <laughs> you don't just sit down and write a full novel, but there was a point where I, um, I decided I was going to uh, take writing seriously and, um, because I, I knew I was, you know, I've always been interested in it. So I thought I should really give it its due. And, and so I started studying the craft because, you know, you don't just, you it's kind of like pottery everyone sits down and the first thing they do is they make this very ugly ashtray <laughs> <laughs> and so i made a lot of ugly ashtrays but you know you, you practice you you look at other um pottery things so i started reading more for critical reading on structure design plot elements plot twists character development um, I started studying books on um, on writing, and and just kept practicing. And all of a sudden, my ashtrays weren't so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> were there any were there any special books about writing maybe that stood out to you that you still remember and that you would maybe recommend? Um, there's a whole bunch of books out there for that. I. Um, the first one that I think I read was Story Engineering, um, and it was it was very very helpful, and I liked it. And then I read the um, Save the Cat Writes a Novel, um, which is a second in the series. The first one that came out was Save the Cat, which is a screenwriter's um, kind of uh, textbook sort of thing, I guess. And I, I've read several since then. And what I've learned is they all pretty much say the same thing. They break it, but they break them down differently. So you need to find the one that gives you the that information in a way that is meaningful to you. Because like I said they all say the same thing. Um, Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces, mm -hmm. which details the hero's journey, is is immensely popular. Yeah. Just because that hero's journey is a is it really does hit on how to construct solid plots and stories. Um, but that book also reads like a textbook because Joseph Campbell is a very brilliant academic kind of guy. So it, it, the information is great, but it didn't really speak to me. And Save the Cat was a little bit more down-to-earth um, kind of language. 
So, and I was able to see that development a little bit easier because of it. so it, it just depends on who you are and uh, what your personality is, which ones are going to speak to you. But studying the craft, whichever book you go with, and I, you're going to end up reading a ton of those books if you're going to be serious about this. Um, just keep reading them until you find one that speaks to you and then go with it. Mm -hmm. I also have that Joseph Campbell book. I'm not going to publish anything, but it's just, I'm, I'm also interested, obviously, in writing and in authors and in books. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think one of the, if you type it into Amazon, you know, how to write or something like that, it's one of the things that, one of the books that always get recommended. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a staple and it's one, um, whether you want to follow that methodology or that path or not, um, if you're going to be a serious writer, you're going to read that book at some stage in your career. It's, it is that much of a classic in the field. Was there anything that, that surprised you the most when you, as you said, you know, you start out with a lot of ugly ashtrays. Was there, <laughs> yes. was there anything that you, when you read those books that you learned that you saw and that you were very surprised by that maybe had a huge influence and made a huge difference on how and what you wrote? Um, as far as what I wrote, I, I would say no, because um, I write my um, stories and my ideas as they come to me, but how I write them definitely has been influenced by that. And, you know, at what, like the pacing of the book and where certain elements need to fall and when and where the, you know, where the midpoint comes in and where the transition from, you know, being the underdog, kind of you, your heroes transition into actually winning the fight because they always start out in a, um, a one step behind position um, and then they turn the corner where they start to win um, and what has to happen to them in that and um, it was not so much I, because of my background in psychology I could see the changes of growth but how to tie that growth and what they call a character's arc into the main plot. So your characters are changing and growing because of what is happening to them. But then because of that growth, what is happening to them also changes. And so that interplay between their personal development and the progress of the main plot was pretty much an eye-opening thing to see it just laid bare like that and explained uh, was very helpful for me hearing you talk about that makes me think that you probably do a lot of or did a lot of uh, planning and a lot of uh, plotting a lot of thinking about how you want to write that book and that book that we of course talking about is uh, it's lee howard and the ghosts of simmons pierce manor Yes, um, I do. Um, I'm, there's uh, the, the two extremes for writing people talk about is either a plotter or what they used to call a pantser. You would write it by the seat of your pants. Wow. Um, I think the more 
politically correct term now is a discovery writer. <laughs> Your characters discover the story along with the writer. Um, whatever you call it, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, you know, the plotters will sit down, and I know authors like this, and they will every single little detail, and they'll outline, and they'll have it mapped out um, in great detail before they ever, you know, start writing that first sentence. Mm-hmm. And then there's others that just sit down and just start letting it flow and letting it flow and letting it flow, and they just write it out. Um, and there's no... I don't think there's a right or wrong to any of that because it works if that's the type of person you are. It'll work either way. I'm something of a hybrid. Um, whereas I get a concept and I, I might write the first chapter just to see if I think it will go um, and it has enough steam to make a full book or something. And if it does, then I'll stop and I'll start doing some plotting until I get about you know halfway through and then I'll start writing again and then see kind of where I end up and because the plots change and things like that. And when you write, um, it almost sounds like a, a uh, mental health issue, but when you write, <laughs> these fictional characters become rather real. <laughs> and real people have a habit of surprising you and um, of changing in ways you've never expected and they do things that you never expected so I don't want to be and this is just me personally I don't want to be locked in from a mm. for a start to finish you know this is the way it's going to be so I I'm, I do both I, I plot a little bit then I write I see where I'm at then I plot a little bit and I write but I always have that first chapter and always have the ending too I, I often i'll write the first chapter and i'll write the last scene or the last chapter and i know where it starts and i know where it ends and i get there in between in stages a little bit of plotting a little bit of planning and a little bit of writing but with that being being surprised by your characters do you ever run into a situation where you feel like you get surprised so much by your characters that you wrote yourself in a corner and you don't necessarily know how to get to that end that you already know of? Um, typically not. Um, I, I, I've, I don't think I've ever run into a situation where I've had to rethink the entire arc of the story, the entire plot or sequence of the story. Um, but they, they do make changes. But, and again, you know, I'm kind of contradicting what I just said because they are they do take on this feel of real people but in the end they're also still fictional characters and they're your fictional characters they bend to your will not the other way around <laughs> <laughs> when you're writing that first draft how long did that take you lee howard took about six months i would say to uh, write the the full book um it, it it i was uh, it was meant to be written and i say that for a couple of reasons well, first of all because it did flow really well it, it came right out i plotted a little bit like i said the the process of plotting and, and writing but it, it just kind of um came out and, and so it it took about six months i would say for me to write the um write that book and how was the How was the editing phase like? 
Oh, um, editing is, is grueling. <laughs> Don't let anyone ever tell you editing is easy. It is probably the hardest part of writing, actually. Uh, um, you know, there's an adage in the writing circles, writing is, in fact, rewriting. Uh, um, <laughs> and editing, is, it, it's that's where some of that determination and persistence comes in because you'll read the story and you'll edit it and fix it and make changes and then you'll read it again and again and again and then you swear up and down oh if i have to read this one more time i'm gonna be physically ill and then you sit down and you read it that one more time and then again and it just keeps going and you you could always keep going that's the other part of it is you you know there's in i don't think any writer would say um this book is perfect because there's no such thing. It's, you know, you have to reach some point where, okay, I need to quit tinkering with this and I need to put it out there. Mm. I think it's just a typical artist thing that artists never really, they never really finish their work. They just choose to mm -hmm. abandon it at some point. Right. It's, but it's not necessarily abandoning it. I think that might be a bit harsh, but you have to, um, I, I think you have to, and again, self-confidence, you have to say, you know what, this is good enough. Uh -huh. And how was the editing process in terms of cooperation with other people? Was it just you looking at your draft and going over it again? Did you have help no, from yeah, that, friends? Or did you get that, that's, uh, doing things that way is, is kind of a good recipe for failure. People get this notion in their head that writing is a solitary thing, and it's really not. If you're going to be serious about writing, you, then you're going to be in critique groups. You, they're going to be good, honest critique groups that'll give you real feedback, not just, oh, you're wonderful, this is great, it, but they'll also tell you what's not great and where you need to work and what isn't working in your story. Um, you know, you need to get that... Uh, your manuscript that you're working on um, in front of strangers, not your, you know, loved ones or friends, but people who are really going to say, you know what, <laughs> you need to fix this, that, and the other. Um, so, no, yeah, it, it, it's a very much is a group effort in people reading your work, and then you have to be willing to read other people's work and give um, fair and honest feedback, which is an art in itself. Hmm. How does it? How does that feel like when you're writing something down and you you're pretty proud of it? You think, oh, this is, this is a good scene that I that I've written, and then you show it to other people and they tell you it might not be. Um, that is a fact of life. You can get all upset about facts of life or, you know, you can accept them as what they are and move on. Um, and always, you always have to be aware, too, that writing is it's one of the arts. So it, it's um, how good it is or, or anything else is a subjective call and it may not appeal to that particular person. And you, as the writer, always get the final say of, well, you know what, I disagree, or I really am fond of this, so I'm keeping it. But you also have to have enough, 
humility to say, you know what, you've got some really good points here, and maybe I do need to fix this, or what's even harder, delete whole sections. Um, so you have to come to it with a willingness to be, um, you know, pointed at, in the right directions and a willingness to make changes and basically to be willing to do what you have to to put out the best story that you can. And sometimes that means you swallow your pride and you, they call it killing your darlings. Those mm. wonderful pieces that you just absolutely love that really don't move the plot forward or they don't give any added character depth but you just really love the scenes but they're, they're kind of superfluous and sometimes you have to get rid of them even though you really like them <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it's it's probably easier said than done how do you make sure that you are neither too open to criticism and basically throw the whole book in the bin but on the other hand also are not totally immune to what other people might criticize about your work Well, that's, uh, that goes beyond writing. That's just a human character and, and quality of person is you have to be always willing to learn something new and to grow and, and accepting yourself to develop. And that's not a writing thing. That's a, that's a people thing mm -hmm. it, that speaks to all of us. And it doesn't matter what walk of life that you're in. You should always be, in my opinion, open to really consider constructive criticism now when somebody's saying something you could tell when they're just being mean or rude or whatever you just let it go in one ear and out the other um drill sergeants helped me learn let's <laughs> go back to my army experience you know but no that's just a, a point of personal character that you have to be willing to um, make changes within yourself to improve it, it doesn't matter what you're doing um in any walk of life. I think that is an essential key to success. And so after many, many months, you have the finished manuscript for Lee Howard in your hands. And at that point, you have quite a few different options. You can just go into self-publishing completely. You can try to find uh, one of the big traditional authors, but you somehow went a bit of a middle round. You went for a indie press that's right um i first tried to um put the out um with traditional publishing i think that's everybody's first option um when they get into writing and so i sent it out to quite a few um, literary agents none of them were um, interested in the project um, and for whatever those various reasons are and, and it all comes back to these things you get rejections and things like that and people take them personally and I think that's the wrong view to hold writing is a business and you have to approach it like that and that these decisions of to not pick up your book by agents or publishers or whoever they're not personal decisions they're business decisions they're marketing decisions they're you know, who am I going to sell it to decisions and, you know, what's out there that's similar that I can compare profits and sale numbers and stuff like that. It is a very difficult business. And and so the, it, it does no good to get your feelings hurt and get all frustrated over it. It's These are 
all business decisions. If you genuinely continue to work as hard as you possibly can to put out the best product you could produce, then you have to be satisfied with that, but also understand that these people, this is how they make their living. This is how they feed their families. So it is absolutely a business first and foremost. But then why did you, you went, you probably weren't um, getting pessimistic about it or disappointed that you were getting these rejections. But somehow I was getting frustrated. It's <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's not annoying. It's, it's very annoying and it's very frustrating. You sound so cool-headed when you talk about it. Well, it, I mean, this is from you know personal experiences and, and talking with other writers and things like that. But I mean, how often in our lives do we cognitively know one thing and emotionally we're feeling something very, very different? Okay. <laughs> you know that dissonance is in all of us. Um, it's just which ones do you choose to act on? But no, it, it, it was very frustrating to have rejection after rejection after rejection on this. Um, and so then I started looking. I didn't really want to self-publish, um, mostly because I don't know anything about it. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I um, found my publisher, or actually my wife um, recommended that I look at Black Rose Writing. And I, we had a chat. They said, send me the manuscript. And they decided to run with it. And the rest, as they say, is history. They've been very good to me. They've been very upfront. I have no regrets about that decision at all. Did they then suggest that you do some of those, what do you call it, book signing events where you go to these stores, set up a table and <laughs> try to sell a few books? <laughs> That's expected no matter what you do. If you work with the, um, if you go traditional publishing and one of the uh, major publishing houses pick you up, you're still expected to go out and do book signings and do an awful lot of legwork. Unless your, your name happens to be Stephen King or John Grisham, mm -hmm. you're expected to do an awful lot of legwork, of self-promotion, of getting the word out there, which is the most difficult thing to overcome as a new author is getting your name out there and getting your work out there. So it doesn't matter where on that spectrum you fall, whether it's traditional published by Hyperion, Random House or whoever, or if you're self-publishing, you're expected to do the same amount of legwork and get your name out there and do those book signings, find those places of engagement and, and put yourself out there. So that's, that's nothing to do with publishing. That's everything to do with the just, integral part of the writing life mm -hmm. and the book signing that we saw in the in that famous tiktok video that wasn't <laughs> your your first book signing right no it was not my first book signing at all i, I had done several by that point um some at other kroger grocery stores um some at some bookstores um, and you know, I was trying to get it at minimum at least once a month be somewhere in public with my book, letting people know that it's out there. Um, but no, that wasn't my first uh, book signing at all when I was at that uh, Kroger grocery store. And how successful were those usually? Surprisingly, I, I think they went very well. Um, 
you know, I was um, selling a steady number of, of books um, at the table, and I was pleased with the number of books I was was selling at the time individually. Um, what's changed was the number of books that are being sold online through Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com and now off my website and, and the TikTok shops that we have set up. Um, those numbers have skyrocketed. Um, but as far as at individual book signings, I know talking to my peers, uh, they were they were fairly successful events for me. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that, about the status quo of your sales in just a minute. But just to give us maybe a ballpark, how many, if you would do a book signing like that, how many books just in general would you sell? At a typical book signing, I try to set a goal for myself to sell 20 copies. And so far, I have managed to do that through the course of at each of the books. I think there was maybe one or two. I sold 17 or 18, but it's close enough. I was in the ballpark. I was happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's already a good number. But when you say that you that you set a goal for 20, what kind of when you're sitting there and doing this book signing, you're sitting at your table, what kind of active steps can you really do to try to get people to to buy your book? Um, well, the, you have to engage with people. Uh, not, you know, when you're at a, and it depends on the venue as well. When people go to a bookstore, they're looking to buy books. So they're going to mm -hmm. come over and chat with you and, and it's all good. When you're at a grocery store, they're looking to buy eggs, milk, and bread. <laughs> you know, the book, a book is probably the last thing on their mind. But in, in either case, you, you do have to reach out and engage with them, and, you know, when they come in or they walk by, hey, good morning, hi, how are you? Mm -hmm. And then if they take you know, more interest and you can go into your, um, what they say your elevator pitch is, your one sentence, one to two sentences of what the book's about, and then you can broaden that more and start talking about the book and get them engaged. Uh, because the honest truth is they if you don't get their attention they're not going to notice you people won't notice you especially mm -hmm. now that they have iPhones all the time um, and if they have earbuds in and iPhones mm -hmm. then you can say all you want they're not going to hear you anyway <laughs> you know sometimes you have to wave <laughs> you know, and, and and after a while I you know I, I Sometimes you have, you can be creative about it if you're just sitting there for hours on end, which you typically are. You know, I would start a book signing at like 9 a.m. and I'd stay until 5 p.m., which is a work day, and I, I stay through lunch. And, you know, that's a long time to be sitting in mm. one spot at a table um, selling books. So you, you get creative about it. People stop by to look at the gift cards and you say, hey, wouldn't you rather get them a book instead? <laughs> <laughs> things, you know, things like that. Just just engage with them. And, of course, always be, um, always take the high road of being polite, respectful, and um, no matter what's going on, if they're not interested, they're not interested. It's okay. <laughs> Is that something that came natural to you, or did you have to force yourself to approach people as they were just walking around? Um, it's again, this this goes back to all the experiences that I've had um, throughout my life. Um, 
you know, I, I, I'm a very, I'm a rather introverted person, and you, but you don't really see that when you see me talking on the Today Show couch like I'm sitting in my own living room. Uh-huh. Um, but inside, again, that dissonance between what we're doing and seeing and what we're feeling is a little different. I mean, all those things make me nervous, but I have learned and have confidence that I can do them. Um, and uh, so, like I said, it's just that, you know, gaining of experience, the more I do, the easier they get. Um, so is it my normal state? Not at all. <laughs> not, absolutely not. But I can do it, and I do enjoy it, I, you know, especially when I'm talking to people who have read the book or started the book. Um, you know, as I was at the gym the other day, I like to swim. And as I was getting out of the pool, uh, a teenager came up and she said she was reading my book and we had a chat about the plot and some of this other stuff. And, you know, that was really nice. Um, so so you can have these really nice conversations. Just kind of step out of yourself and push your limits a little bit. But like I said before, I love pushing my limits. I love those experiences and adventures. <laughs> Let's get into that super famous TikTok video by now and, and the day of it. What was that particular day like for you? Um, it started out as pretty much, a, you know, the same as other days of book signings. I had got, I arrived at the uh, um, grocery store at around 9 a.m. and set up my table and I You know, I sold a few books to hi, good morning, the things we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and then Red, the guy who made the video, he came in. It was around three or four in the afternoon. So I'd been there for a long time by then. Uh -huh. um, you know, I was kind of, you know, a little bored, uh, you know, just sitting there. There was a lull in the uh, shoppers, so there weren't that many in the store. And he saw me sitting there alone, and, and he thought I could use someone to take interest in the book. And I'm so grateful that he did, because it had a wonderful return on his kindness to me. But yeah, he just saw me you know, sitting there, and he came over and started talking to me. Um, and even after that was over, he asked if he could make the TikTok video, and I said, sure, go ahead. Um, I wasn't doing anything, I was sitting there, so... Um, <laughs> And then even after I packed, I went home. I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't until the following day, which was Sunday evening, I guess things started really happening on um, my website and sales and, and everything after that. It's just a follow-on to um, Red stopping by and taking an interest and being kind enough to talk to a guy who's trying to sell some books in the store, which is an amazing story. Hmm. And you kind of mentioned it already, not only in the in the TikTok video, but also on the Today Show. You, this is something that that I saw. You were wearing a jacket with two pins on it, and the one mm -hmm. of the pins is, I think, the American flag. If I'm not yes. wrong about that, but yeah. but the other one, I couldn't figure that out. What's what's the other pin? It's oh, that's a um, that's the, my unit crest of the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, it has uh, two A's on it that are resembling a, a parachute. Um, when the unit formed way back um, in 
pre-World War II and World War II eras, they discovered they had somebody from um, every state in the United States. So they called themselves the All-Americans. So it's an AA for All-Americans. It's kind of their motto. So that's my unit pin from when I was in the service. Awesome. And so that the guy takes a video of you, posts it to TikTok, and, and I think about a day later, you start to notice that it that it becomes quite a, one of a rival video. Yeah, it, uh, it went viral, and, and my wife and I were trying to figure out what was going on, and um, my daughter called, and she said, that's gone viral on TikTok. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not of that the TikTok generation by any means. So I was like, oh, I knew what viral was. I knew what it I, I knew what it was. I didn't know what it meant, if that makes sense to you. Mm. And it meant an awful lot. And how did you what did it how did you experience that? All of a sudden, you know, from sitting there eight hours selling a dozen, two dozen books. And all of a sudden, you're in a video with millions of views and people reacting to it from all around the world, having bought your book and saying how awesome that is. Um, it, it, it's incredible. It remains incredible. Every time that I get on, I have a, a TikTok channel now. Um, uh, it was just if these people were going to be, the people on TikTok were going to be so outgoing and kind and helpful to me they deserve for me to return some of that friendship to them so i have a tiktok channel and, and i enjoy getting on it and reading things but every time i see stuff on there you know hello from saudi arabia <laughs> we love your book in france your book has reached um the uae it, it, nah. it just blows my mind um you know it, all around the world i never um, even I never even thought about my book being read all around the world. Um, you know, and it, it, these are just things. Like I said, I wrote the book to um, because I'm a writer. That's what we do. We write books. I, I didn't know where it was going, and I didn't waste a whole lot of time fantasizing with <laughs> delusions of grandeur or anything like that. I just wanted to write a good book that people like to read. Apparently they do. They like to read it all around the world, which is just an amazing. It, it still blows me away when I read those comments. Uh -huh. And you seem like a guy who, who can manage just to, to still stay grounded while something like that is happening to him. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I hope so. I hope that's true. Um, you know, when I think of things like that. Um, a, a name pops into my head, Canal Reeves from the, the Matrix and, and other movies. And the reason he pops into my head is because he has a reputation of being one of the nicest, most humble people in Hollywood. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, everybody's a role model to somebody for some reason. You know, little sisters look up to their big sisters. You know, boys look up to athletes. And it, You know, third graders look up to the sixth graders. Mm. You know, it, 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 it's, an, it's just part of life. So I'm sorry, Mr. Reeves, but in that respect, I look up to the example you're setting, and that's what I want to follow. Do you look at this 
at this magical day as just a pure accident of luck or do you think about it more in a way of well finally finally destiny caught up uh, with who I really am and and finally the world knows how how great I am I'm not a big fan of luck um, you know uh, there's this great line from I think it's from the Incredibles where Edna Mode says you know luck favors the prepared darling Mm. Um, you know, you put in the work, you put in the effort, and you persevere, and you push, and you push, and you push. Um, I'm also a, a person of faith, so I believe that uh, my, you know, faith and that God has helped me achieve. And you know, I don't get preachy about it because I'm not a preacher, but it, it's just something I also believe. So, but as far as luck, I think we in. At the bottom line of it, I think we make our own luck and the choices that we make, the effort we put in. And if you keep striving, maybe not what you expect will happen, but something good will come of it. If you stay genuine, stay positive, stay focused, stay committed, put in your best effort day in and day out, you'll be surprised at the good things that will come into your life just from those basics. Would you say that in a sense, maybe you maybe you deserved the attention that you're now getting no more or less than anyone else is deserving i i wouldn't i wouldn't say there's anything special about me that i deserve this or you know um is so no i wouldn't say i deserve <laughs> <laughs> that video was a couple months ago by now And I think at one point you were number one Amazon bestseller. Yes, um, it started it, it started creeping up, and I reached the uh, number one Amazon bestseller in the, the young adult genre. And then not long after that, I was the number one bestseller overall on Amazon for over a week. Um, I've since have collected. I'm, I must be around six thousand comments now um reviews which is an insanely huge number of reviews um, especially for a debut novel and um the average rating is hovering around 4.5 to 4.7 or something like that so i'm very um humbled and in awe um, by those numbers so i think it's probably fair to say that there was also a certain financial upside about all of this um well yeah i mean like i this yeah. goes back to what i said before it is a business <laughs> yeah. um so uh yeah and, and that's my like i said I'm, i'm have a very good relationship with uh, my publisher black rose writing um he, they have treated me extremely fairly and so yeah i'm i'm happy on that score as well would you mind maybe just giving us a just a rough ballpark about how many books you sold now after that tiktok uh, the last count that i had heard was about eighty thousand books it's also has been translated into a number of 
foreign languages, and um, there is an audiobook version available for it now as well. Um, so the numbers again for a for a debut novel, this is truly un uh, just very unusual for a debut novelist, and and I. I think people also need to keep that in mind as well. This is not the norm at all. <laughs> Typically, around your third or fourth book, um, things start picking up for a writer. Um, I'm just very grateful that it was on my debut book that this took off. Yeah. And in one of the other interviews that I saw as a preparation for this, I think you, at that point, you sold maybe 5,000 books. So would you maybe say that the that the momentum that uh, the TikTok video created is just starting in a way? Um, I, I don't know if it's just starting or, I mean, it definitely skyrocketed up in those uh, first few days, absolutely just took off. And it's been fair, I want to say it's been fairly consistent after that. And the word of mouth beyond the, um, the TikTok video has been super helpful um you know I mean, that was actually one of my big concerns initially it was the book came out and um or the video came out and i was like oh my gosh if people are just feeling sorry for me i didn't want anybody's pity or sympathy mm. in buying the book but it's been sustained so i've moved past that fear and that worry um And the, of course, I said the number of reviews and, and the solid ratings that it, it is getting. So I've moved past. But that was kind of initial thought that I had as well. It's like, I don't want people doing this because they're feeling sorry for the old man. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is there anything that you that you do that you, uh, in a way that you try to make sure that this is not just, you know, just 15 minutes of fame, but this is more of a sustainable A momentum that will serve you over the next years um well the um you know if you're a, if you're a writer then you're you write that next book um, and my next book is now under contract it's not a lee howard story it's a very different story uh, but it's under contract and we're looking at potentially releasing in June of 2024 for for my next story. Um, I have um, other works that I'm writing and plotting and working on. Um, I have a movie script that uh, features a DC character that now that the strikes have ended, thank you for that, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I can throw that out and um, see if I could get any interest in that. So again you know just persevere at what you do i'm a writer i'm going to persevere at writing i'm going to keep writing and keep putting out material and you know the next book hopefully will do as well as this one and whether it does or it doesn't there will be other books other stories short stories because that's just what i do is there no pressure that you feel now trying to have to write a book that follows up the first one um sure there there's um you know there's those pressures and expectations that okay now i have to do um 
something um me and in, in, in my personality it, it's like now i have to do something better mm. i have to do something you know bigger it has to be more polished it has to be more professional that was my debut novel so i need to learn from it and the next one needs to be better and i think it is and i think Hopefully, I will keep that attitude for everything that I release, that the next piece that comes out will be better than the last, whatever it happens to be. And I think that's how um, things, your question is, how is it sustainable? I think that's how it's sustainable, is to continually strive to improve, to learn, and to be better. Sean, I would like to do a little bit of a bullet round with you, where I just throw a question at you, and you try to answer without thinking too much about it. Okay. And so let's start with the first question. What are your three favorite books? My three favorite books would be Peter Pan, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and at the moment, Horace Rumpel. But it depends on my mood, so that'll change. Mm -hmm. If you ask me tomorrow, it'll be a different <laughs> list. <laughs> if you could live inside a book, which would it be? Um, Tarzan of the Apes. I enjoyed that. I love that story. That whole thing. Um, complete fiction, but I, <laughs> but I, I I enjoyed it, and I had a lot of fun reading it as a kid. You can have a dinner party with any author you want, living or dead. Who do you choose and why? Ooh, um, that's so many to choose from. Honestly, at the moment, um, it, I would I would have to say Anthony Horowitz um, because I would love to do a collaboration with him at some point on something. I just love his work. I love what he's done. He's did Foil's War, which is a TV series. He wrote the Alex Rider and a whole slew of other books. Um, and yeah, I'm a fan. So, <laughs> hardcover or paperback or ebook. Oh, paperback. Or, yeah, I'm paperback book always. Um, I love to hold them in my hands. Fiction or nonfiction? I read both. The equal joy in all of them. <laughs> Romance or thriller? Thriller. A I'm about as romantic as a sink faucet. <laughs> so thriller. <laughs> a 100-page book or a 1,000-page book? I would go, it, it would depend on the story. I would um, both have their appeal and their attraction. So it, that would be an individual basis. Reading alone or reading in a book club? Alone. Reading or writing? Writing. And what's the number one most valuable lesson that you learned as an author? Number one valued lesson, Arthur, is just be, you know, just be yourself, be genuine, and um, don't downplay the importance of knowing your brand, which is who you are and who your books are for and how, who you want to stand for and things like that, because that makes so many decisions so easy. 
And Sean, you also brought us a little passage to read from Lee Howard and the Ghost of Simmons Pierce Manor. Mm -hmm. Sure. This is from uh, chapter eight. It's in page 87 of the hardcover edition. Like his earlier fading away, this time in reverse, a pale blue fog appeared and became more and more dense until Bodhi showed himself as he walked away from her, through her railing and off the ledge. His archaic shoes hovered six feet off the floor as he strode through the air towards the small window in the sitting area. I did it loads of time when this was my room. All you have to do is crawl out this window and climb down the ivy outside. It's grown thick, with little tendrils carving their way deep into the walls, so it acts as a ladder. The thought of it frightened her. A fall. Besides, that window is painted shut. I've tried over and over to get it open to let a breeze in. Bodie looked at her with sad, pitying eyes and shook his head. Puffing up his cheeks, he released his ghostly breath in the direction of the window. Not so much as a speck of dust was disturbed anywhere in the room, but the sealed window banged open. Okay, Lee drawed in all of his magic, but how do I get out? The window is so high. How did you get up to try and open it before? I climbed on one of the chairs. I simply jumped and pulled myself up, Bodie boasted. Lee's lip curled. You're such a boy. She climbed down the stairs and stood beneath the high window. She knew she was more than capable of jumping high enough to get her fingers over the windowsill. She also knew she could do a pull-up to look out. What concerned her most was the question, would she be able to scrabble up and kneel on the sill without banging her feet against the wall, waking the whole house? Not willing to risk it, she pushed one of the chairs beneath the window and climbed onto its back. Making awkward kicks with her feet and flailing with her arms, she reached a kneeling position in front of the window. Poking her head out the night, she saw the driveway far below, bathed in moonlight. How do I know it's safe? You might be one of those poltergeists that trick people into taking their own lives. You want to kill yourself anyway, so what does it matter? Lee jerked her head around with such violent disgust she rocked on the sill, nearly toppling out of it. Her fingernails dug into the hardwood as she clutched at the frame. That was me, she snapped once in control of her balance. Well, it's true, isn't it? Sometimes yes, she had to admit. Before he could feel too good about himself, she added, sometimes no. Right now? Oh, and it was still an ugly thing to say. Bodie moved through the wall to her left and stood hovering outside the window. I think you're just afraid to climb out. That's why you're trying to start an argument with me. Her jaw dropped open. The little brat was daring her to do it. I'll end there. Awesome. And where can the listeners find you and your book? Um, the book is available in several places. It's on um, TikTok. It's on Amazon. It's on BarnesandNoble.com. You can get signed copies from my website and from TikTok shop. Um, my website is SeanWarner.com. And you can also see my calendar there of places I'll try to be and where I'm going to be. And maybe it will work out I'll be in your area, which would be fantastic. 
Um, and you can also get them directly from the publisher, if nothing else. Awesome. And that's about it for today. Thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for stopping by today. Oh, no, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elric Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com. That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.